It has been a long while since we since I preached from the book of Nehemiah six weeks ago. I've been trying to hopefully we can finish by end of the year. Uh, we're going through this sermon called a series, a season to build, a season to build. Challenges are plenty. There are many, many challenges in life. And this chapter 5, it talked about how to handle strife. I remember six weeks ago, I touched on chapter 5, talking about knowing how to handle strife. I expound the passage to you in chapter 5, but I missed out the uh, practical application of it because it's just so much there. So I split it up into two, but I'm going to give you a summary of my sermon the last time, and then I will come to my point of some very important principles that we need to ponder concerning about handling strife. Whether it's in the church community or whether it's in your household, how we go about handling strife. Strife are part and parcels of life. Because even in church, when we believe in Jesus, strife are just normal. Because we live in a fallen world and we are all different. We are a different age group. We have different experiences in life, different spirituality level, different spiritual maturity, different likings on certain types of spirituality being expressed, all types. And as a result, sometimes there are tensions in the community. And Nehemiah experienced that as well in the community as he led the people to rebuild the wall. But the question is, how are we going to handle when there are strife in our midst? And Nehemiah chapter 5 gave us very, very good instruction that I thought as a church, and even can bring it to your own situation, we can all apply this. But let me summarize to you what Nehemiah has been doing. Then I'll read the text to you. Then I'll give you some points about the last sermon. Then I'll give you some points on today's sermon. Okay? That's a big... In chapter 1, the challenges. Nehemiah faces many, many challenges in life. We all face many challenges in life too. Uh, no one is excused. No one is exempted from challenges in life. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're single, married with children, married with no children, whether you're old age or young, whatever age group you are, you have challenges. You have money, you have challenges. You've got no money, you have challenges as well. All life is full of challenges. And uh, Nehemiah met the challenges head on and overcome it one after another. In chapter 1, he was, fa he was faced with a personal challenge because he received news that the Jerusalem was in a mess. The wall has been broken down. There was no protection. If our enemies can attack them anytime. And he received this news as a cupbearer. And so his, ch his challenge is a personal one. What can I do about it? Should I go? Should I don't go? Should I roll up my sleeve, use my, my uh, contacts with the king, use my network to do something about it? Or should I just be happy being a cupbearer and just pray for the situation of Jerusalem? So his situation was a very personal one. He sat down and, and wept, and we know what was his answer. He wants to be the answer to his prayer. Sometimes we need to be answered to our own prayer. Yeah? We need to be answered to our own prayer. And then chapter 2, his challenge moves, moves from personal to political. Now he said, okay, I'm going to do something. But how? He planned in his mind. 
He waited for opportunity for God to work. And then the king asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Nehemiah, you seem very troubled. Is there something wrong with you? Aha! There's a bad chance now to tell the king what was on my heart. And then he downloaded his heart to the king. And then he planned. The king said, what can I do for you? And straight away, he can give a list of things that he wants the king to do for him. So his challenge was personal and then move on to political. And then finally, he had all the things that he wants from the king, granted leave, timber, and safe passageway to Jerusalem, and all that. Finally, he arrives there now. So what to do? Now that I'm here, what am I going to do? I see the wall, I survey the wall, broken down. Now I have to, his challenge become administrative. How to go about rebuilding this wall now? And so he gathered the people together, he pumped them up, he assigned them, you do this, you do that, you build this part of the wall, you go here, you do that, you take arm, you guard against the enemy, and he planned all this thing. So chapter 3, he was confronted with an administrative challenge. And then chapter 4, he dealt with the challenge of discouragement. You know, it's easy to start something. It's very easy to start something. But after some time, you get discouraged because nothing is happening. It's easy to excited to start a business. After some time, you flat already, you know, in business, wow, this money coming, wow, this problem, that problem. And then sip your emotional energy away and you get discouraged. Oh yeah, give up. Lah. Give up. So same thing, rebuilding the wall within the first few weeks, boom, half start already. Half of the wall got built up. And after that, all get discouraged. All started what to do get discouraged, all the rubbles here, and then all the enemies are telling us that they're going to attack us, it's not going to work, they're hearing all this kind of thing. So the workers were afraid of the enemies, and, he, and they were convinced that they couldn't work anymore. So Nehemiah challenges, how do I go about pumping these people up and finish the war? And so his problem was that. So he rallied the troops together. He kind of rearranged the situation, get them to watch over the enemies and all that kind of thing. And then they, they carry on. And then come to chapter 5. His challenge was a different one now. This same community is starting to self-destruct because of some festering grievances. The workers now face a new enemy who is harder to conquer than the previous one. You know who are the enemy? Themselves. Internal problem now. Internal. I can tell you most of the church's problems are internal rather than external. If there's any wisdom in the story of Judas, the enemy is always within. And church is the same thing. It's always the internal problem that sap away the emotional energy. And so Nehemiah now has to deal with internal problem. He helped with the external problem, the enemy, the discouragement. Everything is done. Now internally they are fighting. And that is where we stop. That is where I want to read to you Nehemiah chapter 5. And in it, you'll see there are four kinds of complaints there. Nehemiah, listen to your complaint. And then Nehemiah, get them together and work through this process of reconciling and work together. So let me just read through Nehemiah chapter 5 and you will see the problem begin to surface. Now the men and their wives raise a great outcry. Their own people now, not external, their internal problem. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughter are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain, but we don't have. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine time, but we have to mortgage. 
still others were saying we have to have to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others, these wealthy merchants, the Jewish people themselves. They are abusing and their own people, taking their children and daughters and selling it as a way to, to pay for the mortgages. We are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. And this is when Nehemiah come in. Nehemiah said, when I heard their outcry and discharges, I was very angry. It's okay to be angry. If I may say that most of the uh, God's people in the Bible, they are angry. Therefore, it spurred them to action. I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind about this situation. And then I accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interests. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. And then I said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. And now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us? You must be out of your mind to do that. We brought the people out of Egypt, up from the Babylonian, and then now just for money, you sell them back to them and have them sell it back to us? They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued. What you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentiles' enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil per month, so 12% a year. We will give it back, they said. How nice, isn't it? How nice. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything from them. We will do as you say. And then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. Make it binding. Words are cheap nowadays. Make it binding. Many people make promises to God but never fulfill one. I was shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way may God shake out of our house their possession, anyone who does not keep his promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen and praise the Lord and the people did as they had promised and then the last bit of it Nehemiah set an example Nehemiah said moreover from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until, he, this, until his 32nd year 12 years I was a governor he said neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted, allotted to the governor but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. 
we did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officers ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. And I like the last verse. Remember me with favor, my God. You only want rewards from God. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I've done for these people. I remember I give you a couple of points. Let me just quickly run through it. Uh, you can listen to it on the, on the website as well for the sermon. Uh, complaints, Nehemiah heard. Nehemiah heard their complaints. I won't be uh, talking too much. You can, uh, people who own no land but need a food. There are four groups of people complaining to uh, Nehemiah. People who own no land but need a food. And then secondly, there were landowners who had mortgaged their property in order to buy food during famine time. And this is a genuine situation. And then there's third group of complaints. It's people who complain that taxes were too high. These are all done in the previous sermon, okay? That's what I'm running through. People who complain that taxes were too high. But the third, the, this three group of people's problems are genuine problems. That's okay. It is the fourth group of the people that Nehemiah had problems with. And that is those who were wealthy, who were exploiting their own Jewish brothers. And that made Nehemiah angry. Your own people and you also want to exploit? Your covenanted people. When they enter in the promised land, all those rules, laws that they are supposed to treat their own people are all spelled out in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Very clearly what they are supposed to do, down to the dot. And here, they disregard it all and went and continue to exploit these people. Deuteronomy 23 talks about they are not supposed to charge a fellow Israelite interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but not a fellow Israelite. So that the Lord will bless you in everything you put your hand in the land you are entering to possess. That's in Deuteronomy 23. So there are these four groups of people, this problem, and Nehemiah had to listen to them and handle this problem. So complaints and Nehemiah heard about it. And then steps that Nehemiah took. Now he heard all these complaints. What is he going to do? He gathered them together and then he addressed his problem. He addressed it to them. There are a few things that he did. First and foremost, he appealed to their love. You know, when you want to convince someone, you have to appeal. You have to make an appeal to people's heart and their mind. And so he appealed to their love. There was no time to go into that. And then they also appealed to their conscience. Yeah? He appealed to their conscience. He said, how can you do these kind of things? We have just redeemed the slave out of Egypt and, and Babylon now coming back. And now because of money, you reach wealthy Jews who loan these fields and land to all these poor Jews. Now you're charging them high interest. You're even taking their daughters to be sold them into slave to Egypt or Babylon and have them sell it back to you. See, how silly he appealed to their conscience. And not only that, he also appealed to their morality. He dared to say uh, in uh, verse 9, he said, what you are doing is not right. He dared to say them 
strike to the face and say, what you are doing is not right. I think nowadays we don't even dare to say that. Uh, we have all kinds of view. Now right also become wrong, wrong also become right. Uh, but Nehemiah is strong and believe what you're doing is wrong. You're exploiting people, you're abusing your own brothers, uh, fellow Jews, what you're doing is not right. So he appealed to their love, he appealed to their conscience, he appealed to their morality, and he also appealed to their theology. He appealed to their theology. He said, he asked him, what you did, you're exploiting people, you don't, you, there's no fear of God at all? You acknowledge there's no fear of God that you're exploiting people? No? Just to gain extra money, you dare to do it this kind of way? Cheating here, cheating there, just to gain a few more, a, a bit of money? No? Didn't Jesus say that give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God? There are many people who try to uh, uh, gain pension or something like that will try to do everything possible to make sure they qualify for it even though they actually don't need it. I find it fascinating. Why would people do this kind of thing? Oh, because in the past I paid tax, therefore now is the time for me to get back. You think God doesn't know your motives? He appealed to their theology. And then he appealed to his own actions. He used him as an example. I said, I also do that, but I don't charge interest. I fairly do it squarely. And finally, he appealed to the judgment of God. Remember, he get the priest and, and to, to get them to make a vow and then, and then pronounce a, a severe thing on them to ensure that they keep what they promised. And so, Nehemiah heard all these complaints. He took steps to address it by appealing to their love, their theology, their everything else. And then finally, he gave an example. As a leader, he said, well, I can tell you all these things. I want to set an example, he said. And then he went on to explain that he is entitled to many things as a governor, but I forego it. As I said before, if you want to know a person's heart, uh, don't give them responsibilities, but give them privileges. If a person knows how to handle privileges, you know the person is good. You know the person is good if they know how to handle privileges. Not responsibility. Responsibility, you pay them money, they will do the job. But you give them privileges. They can handle privileges. You know the person is good. And so Nehemiah, get rid of all these things. Don't take advantage of his position even though no one can fault him if he were to go down that path. True leadership must be for the benefit of the followers and not to enrich the leader uh, because Nehemiah understood that greatness is not found in possessions, not found in power, position, prestige. It is discovered in goodness, humility, service, and character. And the more generous we are, the more joyous we become. And the more cooperative we are, the more valuable we become. Have you ever thought of that? The more cooperative you are, the more valuable you become as a worker? The more enthusiastic we are, the more productive we become. The more serving we are, the more prosperous we become. Nehemiah was governed by two principles. The first one is reverence for God, and the second one is compassion for others. As I said, this sermon has been done with the previous, so I'm not going to explore 
and expound it. But he has this great reverence for God and he has great compassion for his people. So Nehemiah listened to their problem. He takes steps to overcome it and found a resolution and everything was solved. And then he go on and set an example. So that is the last sermon that I preached. This is the time I want to give you some practical points from how to handle strife in the community, particularly in the church Christian community. Uh, what can we do about that? I wish I learned of this principle earlier years of my life in ministry. I have made many, many mistakes, and some mistakes you cannot turn back. But at least you can go forward, right? You don't repeat your old mistakes that you have done. So there are some principles to ponder about handling strife and complain. Number one, so there are some, I have four principles for you, and then I have five action steps. Don't be afraid by the nine points, very fast one, okay? Very fast. When my stomach starts to make noise, I know it's time to stop. That's my alarm clock. Uh, I see people dozing off and fidgeting. Stop. Principles to ponder. Number one, there is a direct correlation between the effectiveness of our mission and how we treat each other. There is a direct correlation between the effectiveness of our mission and how we treat each other. We must be the church before we can build the church. We must care for one another before we can hope to reach this community for Christ. There's relationship. People are not going to be attracted to the community if you hate each other and fight with each other all the time. Nobody will be excited about that. Your message means nothing to them. Nothing, beat, fat, zero. You can talk about Jesus loves you and all that kind of thing, but if they cannot see that in the community, it is pointless. They will say you are hypocrite. Simple as that. There is a direct relationship between the effectiveness of our mission and how we treat each other. So that's principle number one we need to learn. We need to be the church before we can build the church. Secondly, second principle that we can ponder, relational problems are inevitable. And we cannot afford to ignore them. We cannot afford to ignore them. We live in a fallen world and therefore relational problems, in fact, most of the life problems are relational anyway. I, I would think that most people will agree with me. Most of our problems in life are relational. Very seldom is about oh, not enough this, not enough. Most of our problems are relational. And the relational problems are the ones that suck out the most of our energy, emotional energy, cause us sleepless night and, and all kind of stress and all that. With, and then come with other sicknesses and illnesses. So relational problems are inevitable in a community, as I said, because we are all different. We have all different spiritualities, spiritual maturity and all kinds of things. And therefore, we, we, we kind of uh, have issues with many things. But even though it's painful, and it may seem easier sometimes to avoid or to deny relational ruptures. But I think we must face conflict head on. If we don't, I tell you what, why, 
Why? If we don't, we'll pay it. We'll pay greatly because it will go underground. And when it go underground, it will grow deep roots and bear bitter fruits. Yeah? You don't address it, it's not going away. It just go underground. Go into deep of the roots and go into deep of the roots, it will bear bitter fruits. One of my friends used to say, the first price you pay is always the cheapest. I don't imply meaning buying food from, from Safeway or you go to compare and all that sometimes. But uh, the first price you pay is always the cheapest, even though you have to pay for it. So while it is painful to address, uh, we have to address it. If you don't, it will only get more difficult the longer you wait. Even Ephesians 4 says, right? Be angry, but... But what? Say no. Why? Don't let the sun, because it harvests bitterness, resentment, and add in and add in, and then it becomes a humongous mountain that you, you carry with this load of bitterness with you everywhere you go. And it will just eat you up. It will affect the way you view everything. And so relational problems are inevitable, and we cannot afford to ignore them. Carl Truman, a theologian, used to say, as humans are at once both righteous and sinful, which I hope you understand that, that as human, as Christian, we are, we are at once both righteous and sinful. So human existence is at once both heartbreaking and hilarious. Both. Relational problem is like that. You know? So the second principle we have to ponder concerning our handling strife is relational problems are inevitable and we can't ignore them. The third one probably a little bit harder is that we must take the initiative to restore relationships. And I add in the last sentence, whether we want to or not. We must take the initiative to restore relationships whether we want to or not. Don't wait for the other person to come to you. If you are the offender one, you know of it. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I don't know. Some people are offended by me, but I don't know. And they just disappear from church. Sometimes just inform you via, via WhatsApp, email. We talk about that in the action step. You know, uh, we must take the initiative to restore relationship, whether we want to or not. Uh, it's very quite clear that uh, in M Matthew 18 talks about that as well. Uh, Oswald Chambers uh, my favorite devotional author said the best measure of spiritual life is not its ecstasies but its obedience and sometimes we just need to obey uh, even though we don't feel like it Martin Luther King Jr. said within the best of us there is some evil and within the worst of us there is some good when we come to see this, we take a different attitude towards individuals. The person who hates you most has some good in them. Even the nation who hates you most has some good in it. Even the race that hates you most has some good in it. And when you come to the point that you look in the face of every person and see deep down within what religion calls the image of God, you begin to love in spite of. No matter what the person does, you see God's image there. Yeah? There's always some good that we are created in the image of God. 
matter how disgusting you are with this person or that person, you must know that He's created in the image of God. Someone say, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, I may not, I will not forget you. But love me and I will be forced to love you. When we seek to discover the best in others, we somehow bring the best in ourselves. Think about the sentence. When we seek to discover the best in others, we somehow bring out the best in ourselves. The best. If you are able to forgive, you bring out the best of you. The best of you. We must take the initiative to restore relationships. As you age, friends become lesser and lesser. If you are selfish, you will reap loneliness. If you are selfish, you always reap loneliness in the future. Four principle. God's reputation is at stake when we have conflict. Have you ever thought about that? As a church member or as a pastor, do we actually think that think about the fact that God's reputation is at stake when we have conflict? It's not just satisfying what you want. Do you ever give it a thought that your reputation, that God's reputation is at stake when we have conflict? Look at what uh, uh, Nehemiah said. What you are doing is not right. And then he went on to say this. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? Why? To avoid the reproach of our Gentiles' enemies. Do you know that the Gentiles are laughing at us? Jew? Do you know that you sell your fellow Jews' daughters and all that sons and daughters into slavery and then get them to sell it back to you for money? Do you realize that you're, you're embarrassing God? That you are fighting among yourself? You know Christians are laughing? Do you realize that? That's what Nehemiah seems to be implying. And not to mention that Jesus in John 17, the high priestly prayer, pray a very passionate prayer in the garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. This is what he prayed in the last bit. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, the believers, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, just like the unity in the triune God of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are one. That these people, they are one. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How are they going to believe? I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Go and look at the word one, how many times it appears. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Then the world will know that you sent me when there is unity among believers. That is what Nehemiah is saying. And when there is no unity, when we fight bicker over things, God's reputation is at stake. 
So those are the four principles that I want to give to you to ponder upon. And now I want to move on very quickly based on Nehemiah chapter 5 to give you five simple action steps that we may learn from Nehemiah in stopping strife, in responding to conflict and complaint. The number one, five action steps for stopping strife that I want to give you from Nehemiah chapter 5. The first one is very important. Make sure it's a moral issue. Make sure it's a moral issue. You're not going to, if it is your own personal preference that you don't like, please don't go and, go and confront the person. Yeah, I don't like this song you choose. Can you, why you choose this song? Please don't do that. Please go home, go on your knees and pray. These are not moral issues. What we are talking about is moral issues. If you have been wrong and you have been sinned against, your anger is justified. On the other hand, if you are ticked, if you are ticked off at someone just because they have done something that you don't like, they make coffee a bit stronger on the refreshment or not enough dessert or something like that, please, this is not a moral issue, okay? Then please go home and go on to your knees and pray. There's nothing, this is not a moral issue. We don't always have to to think that we have to handle strife on this kind of thing. This is an a, they call amoral. This is a non-moral issue. There are many things in life, conflict actually when you really evaluate, it's, it's a non-moral issue. I'm more interested in the moral issue that are violated than we have to address. There's personal preference, this and that. These are not moral issues. These are preference. And so make sure, make sure how to stop trying, make sure it's a moral issue. Secondly, make every effort to listen before speaking. Oh Lord, I hope I learned of this early in my life. Make every effort to listen before speaking. It's very hard. Very hard to listen before we, we uh, speak. Paul Tillich, a German-American theologian and a Christian existentialist philosopher, says the first duty of love is to listen. If love has many duties, the first duty is to listen. And when you listen, don't just listen to words. Listen to the heart. You must listen to the heart, not just the words. Feel. Feel, feel. Don't just listen to words. Human being, we have many components. Emotional components, mental components, spiritual components, and physical components. Don't just listen to the words. Listen to the heart. And, and, and Nehemiah, listen. Nehemiah, listen. And we are not a good listener. And I'm, I'm working on it myself. There was a story about Franklin Roosevelt, the late president of the United States. He often endured long receiving lines at the White House. He complained that no one really paid any attention to what was said. So one day, during a reception, he decided to try an experiment. To each person who came down the line to shook his hand, he murmured some words. You know what he murmured? He said, I just killed my grandmother this morning. I just killed my grandmother this morning. 
I just killed my grandmother this morning. And the guests responded with things like, Oh, marvelous, sir. Marvelous. Oh, sir, keep up the good work. Oh, sir, we are so proud of you. God bless you, sir. Until the end of the line while greeting the ambassador of Bolivia, that his words were actually heard. I killed my grandmother this morning. And this, this uh, ambassador leaned over and said to him, well, I'm sure she had it coming, sir. <laughs> yes or no? Uh, we don't listen well. We don't listen well. And we have to make every effort to listen. And Nehemiah listened to his people. And as a pastor, I need to work on that. And then number three, make it a point to think it over before speaking. Not just listen, but to think it over. Think it over. Let it funnel through the brain first and the heart. Don't just react. Look at what Nehemiah did. You'll be amazed what this person did. He says this. He said, after hearing all the complaints, right? He said, I pondered them in my mind. Yeah, you think. Only after he pondered them in his mind, and then he accused the nobles and officers. Only he pondered them. And did you see that there are three the three things uh, uh, happen. Ponder, you read the original word, mustered over my feeling. Uh, my heart consulted within me. He pondered, think about it. Uh, Proverbs 16.32 says, It is better to be slow-tempered than famous. It is better to have self-control than to control an army. He was angry. Remember before that, in verse 6, he said he was very angry. Emotional distress was followed by intellectual reflection, which in turn led to practical action. So you really think about Nehemiah's response in that sentence, verse 7. There are three things involved. First and foremost, emotional. His heart was moved, he was very angry, and then the mind was engaged. He pondered them, and then the will is motivated, and then he accused them. So emotionally, intellectually, and volitionally, the heart, the head, and then the will involved in making it happen. So he pondered it over. At least then it's more clear, objective, rather than reactive to what people say. So he think about it. So one way to stop strife is also to make it a point that think it over before speaking. Number four, by the way, did you realize that uh, he, after he charged the nobles and officers, he approached them one-on-one -on -one first, then and only he caught together a large assembly. Isn't it good? Wonderful, isn't it? That's the way to go. Number four, meet face to face. Meet face to face. Nehemiah did not talk to them via WhatsApp group or email group. People like to confront things, you know, that's an a, a easier way, you know, just writing, you know, writing. Writing cannot communicate emotion. Let me tell you, I make a lot of mistakes reading people wrongly because it cannot communicate emotion. No matter what kind of emoji you put, smiling face, you know, you know, thumbs down, thumbs up, you cannot communicate the emotion side of it. 
you need to meet face to face. And you can see people's expression. You can see their body language. You know whether or not your message is getting through to them. If I sit here, stand here and preach, I look at your body language, slumbering down, folding your arm and sleeping. I know, I can tell what message you're sending to me. But if you listen to internet me preaching, I can't see you. You may be cooking and listening message and half the time you only listen to one one percent maybe. Meet face to face. Meet face to face. You want to Someone said confrontation is caring enough about another person to get the conflict on the table and talk about it. As difficult as it is, we have to do it that way. Many of us don't like that. Maybe we'll just to communicate in a way. People leaving church via email, via WhatsApp. Until you have to write back and tell them, come on, let us meet together. And even them almost need to beg them to meet. Strange, we just don't have that kind of courage anymore because of technology. There is another venue to communicate our feeling, but even then, we only communicate very little percentage. We subject to all kinds of interpretations, subject to all kind of joining the dots here and there. You know, this person, thing, and then you become your own director and producer of a movie, where actually nothing happened. Meet face to face. Paul is very realistic. He often says, as far as possible, as far as possible. Look at Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sin, go and point out their fault. Just between you and the two, go. Sit down. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Number five, last point. Make every attempt to seek resolution. Make every attempt to seek Resolution. Paul often says, as far as possible, as best as possible, make every effort. Sometimes cannot, cannot. No choice. But make every attempt to seek resolution. This is what uh, Nehemiah went on to talk to them about finding a solution. He confronted them, he appealed to their conscience, appealed to their love, appealed to the judgment of God, appealed to the theology. Come on, do something. Come on, come on. Let's get together. Let's do something. Let's reconcile. Let's not allow this community to be torn apart. He said, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile? On and on and on. You can read about it. And then until the end, then they summon the priest. He made the nobles, officers take an oath to do what they had promised. And then he pronounced judgment on them. And then the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. There is reconciliation. There is a resolution. There is something that woke up in the community. Someone said that if you come at me with your fist doubled, I think I can promise you that mine will double as fast as yours. But if you come to me and say, let us sit down and take counsel together, and if we differ from one another, we will find that we are not so far apart after all, that the points on which we differ are few, and the points on which we agree are many, and that if we only have the patience and candor and the desire to get together, we will. And so here are the five action steps that we can take. Uh, don't let this kind of thing to affect the body of Christ. Make every effort on your side 
even as a pastor I say that and as a church member you must make every effort on your part to preserve the unity of the church thus reflecting the triune God being united it has been said that in an old monastery in Germany you can see two wrecks of ancient deer's antlers permanently interlocked apparently an animal the animals had been fighting fiercely and their horns became so tangled that they could not be disengaged and as a result both of them died of hunger many churches have died because of infighting there's a church in, in, in Oakley an AOG church they built a big church big church in Oakley there was so much infighting that the church eventually split up and they have to sell the entire church to a Chinese church there's a church just outside my house it cost 12 million dollars to build on Anderson Creek Road I won't tell you which church you know it outside my house I can walk there in 5 minutes big church beautiful church 12 million dollars church after they completed building there were only 40 people because it split and split in fighting but thank God now they are rebuilding new pastor comes in they are rebuilding rebuilding there are many many churches that have been through this kind of process and I, I find this Nehemiah chapter 5 a wonderful platform to examine some of these things I've I read this before to you uh, in my closing now uh, but I think it's helpful for me to read it again just to point out one last thing before we pray this story is about a woman waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight she hunted for a book in the airport shops bought a bag of cookies and found a place to drop she was engrossed in her book but happened to see that the man sitting beside her as bold as could be grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between which she tried to ignore to avoid a bad scene so she munched the cookies and watched the clock as the gusty cookie thief diminished her stock she was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by thinking if I wasn't so nice I would blacken his eye with each cookie she took he took one too when only one was left she wondered what he would do and with a smile on his face and a nervous laugh he took the last cookie and broke it in half he offered her half as he ate the other she snatched it from him and thought this guy has some nerve and he's also rude why he didn't even show any gratitude she had never known when she had been so gall and sighed with relief when her flight was called she gathered her belongings and headed to the gate refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate she boarded the plane and sang in her seat then she sought her book which was almost complete as she reached in her baggage she gasped with surprise there was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes and then she said if my are here she moaned in despair 
the others were his. And he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the root one, the ingrate, the thief. I share this story as a closing, just as a way to say that, my friend, sometimes strive, don't always think it's others' fault. Sometimes we are the thief. We may be the one at fault. I'm not saying that you are. I'm just saying that at least have that perspective as well, that we may be playing a part in contributing to it as well. So may God help us uh, as we learn how to handle strife even in this community. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful man of God of Nehemiah. Amazing leaders who set us such a high example for us to follow. Thank you, Lord, that we are all different. We have all different spiritual maturity, different levels of likings of things and all kinds of things that are all different. But help us to be mature. Help us not to be like kids, always wanting our own ways. Help us to be mature. Help us to consider others. Help us to nurture others. Others are weak, others are immature. We nurture them. We give in to them. Just like as parents, sometimes we give in to children. Sometimes we guide them. Help us, those who are mature, do that. Instead of just fighting, help us, Lord, to grow, to grow in maturity. And so be able to handle, strive in our community, able to be, as what you say, uh, to be a, 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 have this ministry of reconciliation, helping people to mend their relationship. Forgive, Lord, forgive us. As we sing this song, we are reminded of your presence in our midst. Lord, you are with us. May you heal all our hurts. May you grant us courage to do what is the right thing to do. Thank you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Would you stand and sing with me and acknowledge and affirm of this beautiful presence of God in our lives. And the power of God is here.
presence of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.